1: welcome to the small business administration award-winning school for startups radio where we talk all things small business and entrepreneurship now here is your host the guy that believes anyone can be a successful entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is not about creativity risk or passion jim beach
2: hello everyone welcome to another exciting edition of school for startups radio it's monday october 16th i hope you had a wonderful weekend And are excited for some fall weather. It's getting kind of chilly around here, but we've got a great show to warm you up today. First up today, we have Jeff main. He is in the credit card processing space and has a company pay proudly. It is an amazing story. He's doing things differently from a lot of other people in that space. I know this space I've been in this space. And I'm really impressed with what Jeff is doing. I am excited to share his story with you. After that, Dr. Marjorie Olson will be with us. She is part of the team accelerator group people. She is teaching us how to do a lot of things with our workers. We're going to have a really wide ranging conversation about going back to the office and office gossip and all sorts of interesting things. If you have HR problems, Dr. Olson will help you. And so I'm excited to share her story as well. It is a great one. We have some really great stuff coming up the rest of the week as well. Online tires, a whole bunch of stuff coming up this week. Great stuff and appreciate you being with us. We are back again. Thank you so much for being with us very excited to introduce my first guest today his name is Jeff Maine he has for the last decade or two decades or so been involved in the payment processing space the credit card processing industry he has a company of his own called payproudly.com and they have a really interesting twist not only do they offer low rates which is the the key to the whole thing for us consumers But they also give to charities as part of the process. Jeff, welcome. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show today.
2: So did I explain it correctly? Low rates and a gift component. Is that correct?
0: Absolutely. You know, part of, part of being in the payment processing world, we know we have to save people money, but we try to, to you know, as we try to talk, you know, work around that. We, we want to bring people clarity on their payments more than the, the money savings. We, we obviously talk about money, and, um, and that's an important product, but we also want to make sure that they're set up the proper way, that they're taking credit cards how they should be taking credit cards, and, and that they understand why and what they're doing and what they're paying for. Um, and so, really, really important to us is just bringing that clarity.
2: Jeff, I was involved in your industry a decade or so ago. Do you remember the handheld payment? Uh, systems that you could use at a restaurant, they're, they're all over Europe, you go and the waiter brings you a console. And instead of giving your credit card to the waiter who disappears with it, copies it, and gives it to six of his friends, you swipe your own card right there at the table, put in your tip amount. And the waiter doesn't, isn't involved in the payment at all. I thought that was going to take off. I thought that was just a no brainer. And so I got involved in the space and learned well first of all that was a dud I can't wait to hear why you think it was but the the sales pitch we used was we'd go into people and say let, you know, let us see your bill and say well can you explain the bill to me and people would go uh no because <laughs> the reason I started about all that was the clarity your industry is the most confusing in hell it's like 2% of this plus 9% of that take away 6% of what you did on Tuesday Woo
0: it's definitely a convoluted, um, I, I tell people, I, you know, right. I've been in this business. I, I've been in this world for over 20 years and a lot of the, the issues and why rates and the structure is so convoluted is because it's the card issuing banks. They're, they're they're constantly issuing new rates and a lot of people think it's MasterCard and Visa but it's it's really the card issuing banks that are setting these interchange categories and you know MasterCard and Visa have a flat amount they make and that doesn't change but you know all these card issuing banks are the ones that are really getting together and setting up all the different categories and how the cards are accepted and how they're coming in and and face it, the business owners are paying for the rewards. As the rewards get better and better, the interchange rates go up and up. Um, somehow these these issuing banks have got to make that money back um, to pay for these rewards and, and yet still be profitable. So um, the better the rewards, the more the merchants pay. And and that's why what you're seeing happen in our industry is a big shift of saying, hey, let's allow these business owners to recoup their fees and charge a fee to take a credit card. And, and today, if you do that, in a compliant way. And there's all kinds of software systems from you know QuickBooks invoicing to, to online payments to the credit card terminals to point of sale systems that are doing that in a compliant way and eliminating credit card fees for business owners. And you're going to see more and more and more of that um, as time goes on.
2: And what do you think consumers are going to say to that? You know, consumers are already ticked off <laughs> yeah. about the whole tip thing. Yeah. And now if I, you say, I, well, I, we're just going to go ahead and auto- automatically add 3.7% just yeah. for the credit card processing. You know, why don't you go ahead and add a, a, you know, a shrimp and beef bill on top of that too. You know? <laughs> That's supposed yeah. to be on your side, buddy, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and, and you, you're going to have some of that, but, but here's what we, we say to business owners all the time. And, you know, when we have that exact comment, we ask, uh, you know, the last time you went to the gas station and put gas in your car, did you pay with a credit card at the pump? Yeah, you paid a higher fee than if you would have walked inside and paid with cash. Um, All gas stations have been doing it for a long, long time. They have a credit price. And they have a cash price. And it's been it's been there. It's been around forever. And you, the consumer, have gotten used to that. You've gotten to where you don't even acknowledge it. You don't think about it. But you pay a higher fee when you put it on your credit card. And so the same thing's gonna happen in businesses over time. And and you know, and face it, with the with the way business is going and rate and, and everything is getting more expensive. Food cost is up, labor cost is up, everything is higher and more expensive today. And they're looking for any avenue they can to cut their expenses and credit card st- expenses to a, to a restaurant doing, you know, six figures of, of, of income on a monthly basis is a large line item. It's a it's a big expense, and um, and so that's you know the industry is going that way because more and more business owners want it. Now there are certain industries that are never it's never going to go that direction, but there's certain industry with you know food and beverage being one that you're going to see it more and more and more, and you're going to become numb to it. And and maybe it maybe it affects the tip you leave, maybe it doesn't. Um, but, but you're going to see on your receipts, a cash option and a credit option more and more and more.
2: And that's so weird because so many places don't even want cash anymore. You know, the number of places that won't take cash is before we forget, Jeff, why do you think those handheld pay at the table didn't
0: work? You know, it's over Asia and Europe.
2: Why is it in America?
0: Yeah, we were over in Europe this year and I, and I found that very, very interesting. Every single restaurant we ate at for two and a half weeks, uh, they brought the terminal to the table. And and here it's happening. We have we have restaurants today on our books that do it. Um, we have, you know, pay at the table. And, and what's real interesting about pay at the table is um, it increases the amount of tip that the servers collect, um, because they're, they're standing there in front of you. And when you tip, you're going to tip more when they're standing over your shoulder than when they walk away and you have to write it on a piece of paper. And especially when you can select, you know, on the screen, it doesn't feel as bad as when you're writing it down. And, um, it's a psychology thing. And, and so all of our restaurants that do that, you know they do their servers make more money uh, by doing pay at the table um but but i think at the end of the day a lot of these restaurant owners don't don't see the reason to for the expense they haven't been forced into that situation and they don't want to buy the uh, you know another 400 dollar ipad and it, two or $300 card reader and people drop those iPads and they break and there's just, you know, there's issues with that stuff. And, and so they don't want to go that route. And, and, you know, and so they haven't been forced to go that route. They're still taking the cards back and processing them at the stations. And, and so a lot of owners just don't want to go to that extra expense, but I will tell you that the owners that do it, do, do like it.
2: Jeff, tell me about the other component of your business, the charitable component.
0: Yeah. So something really important to my wife and I, when we started pay Proudly, was we wanted to build charity into our business from day one. We wanted it to be in the DNA of the business. We wanted it to be a part of our company. Uh, we feel very strongly about it. And, um, and so we wanted to benefit our local community through our business. And so we started talking about how we do that. And so we wrote it in our, in our missions. Um, you know, the first part of our Mission is what we've been talking about, bringing clarity to merchants, and the second part of our mission is bringing charity to the community. And we do that through we take a percentage of all of our income, ten percent, and and we give and we slide that into a charitable giving account on a monthly basis, and we support organizations mainly local but we support some national organizations as well that we write those checks to on a monthly basis and we do it it's we don't just say we're doing it we do it and and um, and we tell our customers what we're doing and we have a lot of customers that have charitable organizations that are important to them you know some some you know some business owners are you know animals are important some you know cancer is important some kids are important you know so we we kind of we we go through our crms and we when we talk about with our merchants hey what's important to you and when we support those local organizations that are around them when we post about these checks that we're writing we thank those business owners because without those businesses we wouldn't be given the money and so we we push it out there in support of these local businesses and the fact that our consumers are doing business with those local businesses and every single credit card swipe donations are being made. And so we give that credit back to our business owners, um, in the form of, of that social media.
2: I love it. Go back in time, Jeff, and talk about building this business. How'd you get started? Why'd you step away from your previous job and all of that stuff? Talk about becoming an entrepreneur and building this business.
0: So, you know, just my, my kind of backstory Before that
2: though, Jeff, tell people where
0: you are in the world and what type
2: of uh, environment Hilton head is and who your typical consumer (sighs) is there. People probably don't know Hilton head. If they know it's probably from a recent murder trial only. Which is the yeah. way? So that. <laughs> that's right.
0: That's that's right. A lot of people know about the Low Country um, because of because of that. But uh, that's not what we're known for. But uh, you know, we we live in um, we actually live in Bluffton. Um, that's where our office is at Bluffton, South Carolina, which is right at the bridge going over to Hilton. Had a lot of our businesses on Hilton Head. We're twenty minutes from Savannah. We're about eighty miles uh, south of Charleston. So um, we're just north of Savannah, and we're about. 80 miles south of Char- Charleston. So um, we say it's a beautiful part of the country. Um, if you've never been, you need to come. It's it's just it's fantastic. And about nine or ten years ago, I've been in the credit card processing business since the, the late 90s. I got into it right out of college. And, uh, we were living in St. Louis at the time in the payment processing world. We had done a few different businesses. I, I cut grass and, and, and started a little business in high school through college and just always had that entrepreneurial spirit. And, uh, when I graduated college, my dad looked at me and he kind of pushed me to, to, Hey, go start your own business. And I dabbled in this space a little bit. It was just a good time to get in. And, um, and, and he pushed me to start my own business. And, you know, I give him a lot of the credit of saying, Hey, if you don't take the risk now, you're going to end up like me and be a corporate America guy and and not be able to take the risk because of fear of, of you know, you've got these bills, you've got kids, you've got things going on and you can't take that leap of, of faith and, and go without making money for a while. He's like, right now is your opportunity. I've supported you this long. I'll support you for another couple of years. Let's, you know, get going and see what you can do. And so I did. And, um, and we've built some portfolios, we've sold them. We've, we've built a, and we've gotten involved in the ACH. Check world and built a company and sold it Um, we've had ups we've had downs we've had you know you know moments of of not knowing why we've done what we've done Um, but about nine years ago I looked at my wife we were living in St. Louis and and I said hey we can live anywhere we don't have to live here with what we do we can you know let's go live somewhere where other people vacation at let's let's change you know the dynamics our oldest at the time was in fourth grade and so um, we we had been to Bluffton. We liked this area, so we relocated to Bluffton. And uh, and and man, we just haven't been happier. Our you know our oldest is a freshman in college now. We love it down here. We've got you know there's a lot of you know food and beverage down here, and, and we do food and beverage, but we also heavily focus on verticals of you know of markets like you know we do a lot of medical, um, which is not um, a lot of the medical that doesn't do a lot of insurance. You know, like your higher end dentist, your plastic or physical therapists, things that don't do a lot of insurance. We do a lot of that. We do what we call dirty jobs, the service companies that come to the homes and do service work and where they're doing mobile payments and uh, web payments and different things. We have a full QuickBooks integration that we're doing uh, that we can integrate with QuickBooks and reduce rates, but yet be a help desk for the customers. And when they call, we answer the phones. And um, and so we do a lot of that. You know, restaurants are great business, high transaction. But they're very they're they're also you know they they're very integrated into point of sale systems and so we have to look at those point of sale systems and see if those are systems that we work with or not so uh, but we do a little bit of everything
2: and how hard was it to build the new business uh, in a new part yeah. of the world and get your first customers and low country <laughs> well, people might not like outsiders.
0: Yeah. So, you know, my family is all from the South. And and so I was kind of moving back to the South. And, you know, and so I've been embedded into this community. And, you know, our kids are are obviously going to school here. And we've been here long enough to kind of, when we moved here, we were still working on our other business. And we were heavily down some national verticals that we've since have, have sold that company. And we've we've done some splits. And so we started this company three years ago. Um, and um, and we started a new company with the premise of we wanted to build a company with the give back and so that's where it started and um, and then we've been building around that and we've really built this company organically. I was the first employee and, and I was the only employee for the first six months and then we hired our first salesperson and we hired an office manager and then we hired an administrative assistant. Now we got a tech person and so we've organically been growing it and, and we grew it by me going feet on the street and hiring a sales Person that was feet on the street, and now we're doing more marketing and doing things outside of the local area. But we built this business by being in businesses, and and them knowing us and us knowing them.
2: I love that. That's a great line. We built this business by being in businesses. That's a good one. Yeah. And what's the hardest part of selling credit card processing? I mean, that's knocking on a lot of doors. I know because I was in yeah. space. What's the yeah? Hard I part for you.
0: I think the hardest part, the hardest hurdle for us to get through is, is business owners taking, taking and and making the move, right? They, they're interested. Everybody's interested in what we do. And I've got a great example of of a good friend of mine that I talked to for two years about their, his credit card processing. And, um, and we were able to save him a substantial amount of money, but it took two years of me talking to him here and there about, hey, let me just look at what you're doing. And and once he finally let me look at it, he couldn't believe that he didn't do it two years prior. Um, But it's kind of one of those parts of businesses that it's out of sight, out of mind and business owners don't want to think about it because it's not a fun topic. It's not something they want to talk about. They don't, they don't understand it and they don't really like it. They don't like what they're paying. They don't, you know, they, they don't understand why they're paying that much. And so it's a, it's, it's an avoided topic and change is hard for business owners. They don't want change. And so getting them over that hurdle of just saying, all right, look, Let's do this. And, and as we do more and more accounts and, and people talk about how easy our transitions are, you know, we work really hard to have a good process to transition a merchant um, to make it as painless as possible. And We don't want a merchant to be down. You know, we, if, if a merchant's not taking credit cards, we're not making money either. So we work really hard for that transition and for that merchant to be able to process credit cards at the close of business today and able to process credit cards at the open of business tomorrow.
2: We only have a couple minutes left Jeff, and because I was in your industry, I know some of the scuzziness of it. It is an yeah. re- industry with a bad reputation, but I love <laughs> some of the stories. So I'm going to tell my crazy processing story to give you a minute to think of uh, your craziest processing story or dirty trick or whatever. And I'm not sure it's a dirty trick. It's just a good story. So I'm going to tell that yeah. story. I had a friend in the space and his niche was, uh, liquor stores and he would go yep. into a liquor store and fill up the cart, $2,000 of bottles. And he would let the register run it up, run it up, run it up, talk to the guy. Hey man, I can't wait. Having a big party and get out, you know, well sir, That's $2,900 and 18 cents. And he'd get out his checkbook and the guy, the owner would say, I'm sorry. We don't take checks. He's like, what do you mean? You don't take checks. And he'd be like, I can't buy then and walk out and leave $2,900 of liquor sitting there at the cash register. Two or three days later, he'd walk in and say, Hey, I'm selling or or someone else probably would walk in and say, Hey, I'm selling check processing for, you know, $8 a month. You can have this little thing right here. Now you can process checks. Have you ever had anyone not make a purchase because you didn't take checks? The guy goes, well, <laughs> Dale, it just last week, you know, <laughs> I just think that's so funny.
0: Yeah, you know we, what? we, run, yeah, we run into that all the time. And I'll, I'll tell you a very, very recent one. Last week I had a customer call me and, um, and, a, a, a different company was representing themselves as a, mer- as merchant services and as us and, um, and got one of my customers to you know, on the phone and started talking to them about that. They were that we were that, you know, basically they were just acting like us the whole time. We were, you know, we looked at their account they were They had the wrong fees and we needed to adjust their fees. And here's the application. And they got them to give them all this information just by completely lying to them. And thank the good Lord that uh, they called me when they got that paperwork because they just felt uneasy about it and that goes to the relationship that we build with our customers. Um, they, they didn't, they they thought something was off. And, uh, and I called the, I called the, um, the company and I talked to the sales guy and I told him that that's the reason that we have the, the image and the bad name that we have is because of tactics like theirs. And, um, and, and hey, that's worse good than that. Sick. That's
2: illegal. I mean, that guy should, yeah,
0: it's just, it's just terrible. And, um, and, 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 you know, and he hung up on me and, and we'll go on with life. And I, and I know it, it, that phone call probably didn't do any good for anybody. He just went on and did it to the next customer, but it made me feel better that I, I that I called him out on it. But, um, and, 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 you know, we tell our customers all the time that, you know, our industry has this black mark on it, like a used car salesman. And that's a shame, but it does. And it's through dirty sales practices. And um, And we want to be a change to that. That's not who we are. And, um, you know, I'd say the average attrition rate in this industry is probably 13 to 15 percent. <laughs> our attrition rate is less than one percent. We do not lose customers. And it's because we talk to people, we answer our phones, we help them. If they have a machine go down, we replace it. We don't, there's just no questions asked. And, um, because we want our businesses up and processing, and we want them, you know, it's, it's just really important. And we want them to call us. We don't want them to call the 800 number. We want them to call us. And, um, and that's how we stay in business.
2: Jeff, how do we find out more about pay proudly and you and your business?
0: Yeah. So, you know, payproudly.com um, is our website. Go out, take a look at it. My email address is Jeff at payproudly.com. I would love to get an email from you. I'd love to get you on know, my calendar and then um, talk to you about your payments, even if it's just a free con- consultation, just saying, Hey, here's what you're doing. Here's how you should do it. I'm open to those conversations all day long.
2: Jeff, thank you so much. It's a great story. And welcome back to the South. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. And we'll be right back. We are back. in again, thank you so very much for being with us. Very excited to bring another great guest to the show. Please welcome Dr. Marjorie Olson. She is a organizational leadership and performance coach. She has had decades in the big corporate America space, but has spent quite a while recently here working directly with teams at big organizations and also people like us helping them with her trademark formula, her framework for building more successful teams. She is known for, let me make sure I get it right here, the top team accelerator method, and we will go through that as a way of starting your uh, your transformation. Dr. Olson, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
1: Thank you, Jim. I'm doing well. How are you?
2: Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Olson. What do you see that's going wrong in not only the people you work with, but just in the corporate world that you started off in? <laughs>
1: The first thing that I see that is absolutely common and not working is that leaders and their teams do not know the ins and outs, the science and the art for how to be a high-performing team. And when you're dealing with the leadership, the leadership impacts everyone underneath their reporting lines. And what I found over years of education and experience is that it really is the team at the top that is going to impact everyone underneath it. If you truly want to increase revenue and hit your targets and surpass them and go faster and be agile and able to be uh, able to do new opportunities and fail fast you need to have the team at the top being cohesive and in sync and speaking the same voice and having their teams roll in the same direction and all of that uh, cascades down. So leaders think that they can't change the dynamics of the culture. They think that they uh, there's not anything that they can individually So they may try to do some things with their own team and leadership teams at the high level, hire really smart, talented industry experts, but that doesn't mean they know how to be a team. So you've got pain across all of these organizations that shows up as the leader feeling like they're babysitting. They may not say that out loud to even anybody, But they are surprised that people come to them for problem-solving. People come to them to gossip and complain. People turn around and go lead their own teams in different directions because they're not an in-sync group. Meanwhile, missing targets, missing deadlines, and solving the same issues over and over again. So I was in corporate America for a long time, and I saw it no matter what the industry or size of organization or type were the entrepreneurs, was it a big company? And I started to see some common things. So I went back to school, earned my doctorate in organization development, because I wanted to understand the machine like somebody else might take apart a toaster. And what I found was, first of all, we have known what we know about the principles that are needed, the art and the science. We'd known that for about 30 years, and that was 10, 12, 13 years ago. So if we know it, I set out on a dissertation path to understand then why do organizations, leaders and teams struggle And part of it is they don't even know that someone else has figured this out. They may have training or ask HR to help or bring in consultants, but they end up focusing on a piece of it, the leg of the elephant or the trunk of the elephant or the tail of the elephant. And, the, and and not, instead of the holistic, what do we really need to do the things that we know are needed? And the last thing I will say is they're also not being honest with, with each other and they're not talking about behavior. So if we think we can be at work and talk about marketing and talk about finance and talk about compliance, but we can't talk about behavior, we're missing the single greatest strategic advantage because we're all behaving with each other all day long. It's very complex. And that's why we put systems in place to get it set up in a way that works and then we learn to trust each other collaborate support each other because we're being open and honest about the things that are the most important
2: okay so you you say that there's a best practices solution of what a team should look like and how it should perform right from the research. There
1: are, and it's vetted and researched and reaffirmed over and over again. If you po- do a search on books or um, podcasts or information about the art and science of teams, they're all based on the same principles. The problem, like the problem we have with losing our ability to, to join, the to, to be at the gym or to change how we eat or to add a habit that's a positive, the problem is in the implementation. The problem is in the culture. The problem is in the habits. The problem is in people thinking they can come together, but leave their human side out of the equation. And the human side needs to be front and center in the equation. So how do humans operate? Their brain is in charge and almost all of it is autopilot. So we put systems and building blocks in place that get people started. So you're no matter where you are, it's never too late. If you're an entrepreneur and you're just starting out, it's great to start out this way and build the foundation. But if you're already up and running, regardless of your size, you can change it. I've seen leaders do this. You interrupt the flow and you set up those building blocks to work with the brain, to work with your habits, to make the most of how people communicate. And you start going after behaviors that are not helpful. A leadership team, no matter how uh, lauded they are in publications or on podcasts or in articles, they should not be gossiping about each other behind one, each other's backs. They should not be leading their teams in different directions, and they should be talking openly about the direction they're headed and where they feel about, think about that and what they need. And it's interesting, even that little piece that I just described is not common. It's it's implied in all the books that you read and the the strategies that you might have heard about but it's not ever surfaced openly and then practiced and then having awkward conversations well that worked but this didn't and we really need to talk about what happened these last three meetings you said you were going to do this it's not done it's all sort of being implied and i work with it very openly and directly
2: all right so is the best practices what you call the top team accelerator method with the TCAP?
1: Correct. So, the, so it's four and it's sequential. And we start where you are, wherever you are. So we meet you where you are. And then I apply the knowledge and the, um, the, the ability to be able to learn the basic tenets of which starting with teamwork, and then we do offsites to have you, the leader, and you, the leadership team, begin to build that capacity. So when someone goes into a classroom to learn leadership, there, it's all theoretical, and it's re- the brain just is not going to retain all that, and you're not going to be able to practice it. There's not going to be somebody there to tell you what's working what's not. Also, if you want to build trust on your leadership team, which you absolutely need, you don't go after trust. If you want to build collaboration on your leadership team, you don't go after collaboration. You put in the building blocks for understanding each other, for growing your own self-awareness to from wherever it's at now to farther up the mountain, and then you build what I call team awareness, which is what are the priorities and goals we are going after right now? Because the one challenge for everyone is too many distractions, too much going on at one time and not committing, not uh, actually uh, going with where the leader is headed. What did we say we're going to do and who's going to do that? So you build collaboration, support, and trust during the teamwork module, and then you move into commitment, which is you build clarity and alignment. And clarity for team members is we each are clear about the same things. And you can imagine anything I do as a leadership team member, I turn around and am able to impact my own team. So it just starts to affect the culture in very positive ways throughout the organization. But am I clear? I once worked with a four person leadership team who had been together working side by side for a year. And when we, and they were not getting traction, they brought me in when we started to talk about what the, um, the goals and priorities were, they each told a different sor- story, laughing and crying. And we were, Just surprised at how collegial they were and very friendly they were and sat next to each other for months on end, and they still told a different story to their own teams and had a different view of where they were headed. So we clarify what really is the direction you're going, but then the alignment pieces, now what do you think about that? Everyone does not need to agree, but everyone needs to be weighing in and talking openly. But then they have to come together and move forward on the same page and turn around and lead their own teams in that direction. And so that takes practice because people are used to, oh, the team doesn't work very well. I'm just going to go off on my own. my team. Or... I don't really like what they're doing. I'm going to go off in my direction. Once we start to work on that, we build the systems and processes and start to practice and get feedback for what's working and what is still needed to be added, more of the stubborn challenges. Then we move into what are your operations today? And most everyone struggles with their meetings. And I can tell you, Jim, it's the easiest challenge to solve, but it requires some types of agreements and alignment that people aren't making. So we've known everything we need to know about high-performing meetings for decades. Even adding the virtual piece, adding all the disruption and turmoil that we've been, the basic tenets for having uh, high-performing meetings have not changed. And why are people struggling with their meetings? Because of the implementation, because of the habits, because of the brain, because of not being honest, because they don't have the right people in the room or they have the wrong people in the room and they don't want to be honest and say, you really don't belong in this meeting. And they don't separate the tactics from their strategic and that's huge. So we get all of that to the point where the company has really changed a lot of the nuts and bolts in the way they think about the priorities and goals, in the way they work together, and in the way they meet with each other and their teams. And then we start identifying what are the metrics that you need, not the 27, not the 120, not your full dashboard where really nobody can tell the same story about, what are the key metrics that let you know how you're doing and which metrics can we add about behaviors? So there are metrics that you can follow that tell you, uh, is anybody gossiping? Is anybody complaining? Is anybody's team rowing off in different directions? You start to look at that. And as soon as people know we're measuring it, they are um, they're rowing and they're, they're coming together with how they're ro- leading their team and how they're rowing because now they're being asked for it. And that's the performance piece. And the way Top Team Accelerator works is I don't sign anybody up for that. That's a one-year program. I sign up a client to coach them for a few months to uh, be able to hit the ground running and fix your meetings and start to do some of the teamwork stuff, but do kind of a fit analysis, understanding where you are, understanding who you are, understanding how you all operate. Because the other impediment along the way for everything we've already known is yes, leaders and teams can adopt some of these, but they may not be ready. Or they bring in a consultant, they bring them in for a year, they the consultant leaves, nothing has changed, and they complain about the consultant. I can't do this for them. My team can only facilitate the process. And and so what's built in, because I'm an education expert, what's built into the process is how to learn how to be a leader, how to learn how to be a team. And so we find out in those first few months, is that something you're up for? Do you really understand what this program is different than some of the other ones you're aware of? And are you in a position to lead and lead your leadership team through this process? And then if yes, then we can do the next nine months and what they've already paid goes into the the future price. And so, but we don't put anybody through the difficulty of signing up for something that they're just not in a position to execute.
2: I want to go off topic for just a sec, not off topic, but random. You hear these meeting guidelines that supposedly increase productivity for example the pizza meeting you uh, meet as long as there's still pizza on the table (laughs) you know and then i think queen elizabeth was famous for the standing up meeting Ah. you know you only you 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 can't sit down and therefore you say what you got to do because everyone gets tired of standing after some point do these things work
1: so I would say that the reason they ever became known, the reason you know about them, and I knew about the pizza one, I didn't know about the Queen Elizabeth one, but the pizza one's pretty ubiquitous, and maybe even the Queen Elizabeth, the reason these were ever, um, ever became viral is because somebody was trying something, and the brain is not going to remember that one-page single-space document that someone sent to you that said, do your meetings like this. But the brain will remember pizza. Because that's how it's hardwired. So we work with how the braid is hardwired. I will tell you, you really don't need to force people to stand only. You really don't need to to restrict it to eight minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. When you put in a few of the most fundamental tried and true principles, and then you check with each other. So what's happening is... I'll go in to work with a client and they will adopt my team practices for meetings and they won't uh, check in to see how it's going. So we have metrics around the meetings. And I will tell you, uh, so there are four things that are really critical um, to have in your meetings. One is separate out tactical and strategy. If you're in a day-to-day meeting or a weekly uh, tactical meeting where it's really important to keep each other up to date on the operations, if someone really wants to talk strategy, you're going to waylay the entire meeting. So you develop, develop discipline and habits around how to do that. Number two, if you have the wrong people in the room, they're obviously going to want to talk about what they want to talk about. And if you don't have the right people in the room, you're going to be missing key information. And what happens, and this might be the most common, is it is very uncomfortable because it's unfamiliar to turn to somebody and say, we're going to be doing this meeting going forward differently and you won't be invited. So rather than start there, we start with developing a little bit of teamwork and being more open about how, be more positive and more neutral about how we're setting up the teams and how we're setting up the meetings and getting agreement so that people realize, oh, good news, you're not needed for this one because it's tactical. We need you for the strategic one that is in three weeks. And what you start to deal with is FOMO. So you've got people who literally are still struggling with the fear of missing out. And the other thing you have is politics. People come to meetings because uh, nobody's af- everybody's afraid to not invite them. And then you have the one or two people doing all the talking. That's a terrible meeting. So it's really about people agreeing that we're going to take on this challenge. Obviously, it's a challenge or you would have already fixed it. And the challenge is, can I be uncomfortable leading this meeting differently and get in, get practiced at it? I'm not going to run a marathon after I don't even know how to run around the block. It's going to take different junctures. and I'm going to build my toolbox and I'm going to learn from others and then I'm going to practice. Meetings require some practice and they require some hard conversations but I've never had a client who ever wanted to go back to the old ways. Once they get up over those initial hurdles and turn their old habits into new habits, and the last thing I'll say about that is most people have not been in high-performing meetings so they don't even realize it's a thing. Because they don't have it, Or because they're not sure how to lead it, they're just going to keep it going the way it's been. Once people start to have high-performing meetings, so imagine the leadership team is now having meetings that are really cooking. They're really doing the thing that you need to do. People are no longer dreading them. They're actually looking forward to them. That's going to start to trickle down just by osmosis and uh, culture movement and habits into their own teams. And pretty soon, it becomes more of a norm, and that's what you're looking for.
2: All right it dates back to 1701 the privy council was required that all of their members stand i think because the costumes were too elaborate for them to sit
1: <laughs> and today it does make sense to stand if that's the only way you can get someone to stop doing all the talking but there are better ways and I wouldn't worry about whether people are standing or sitting. I'd be worrying about have we clarified what is the purpose for this meeting? Do we have the right people? Are we missing anybody? Are there some people in the mix that don't belong? And in the last three to five minutes, we pause and we we agree on what do we just say that we that that are the questions? What do we just say are the decisions? What do we just say are the follow-up steps? And I wish. That last thing that I just said was rocket science because but it's not and nobody's doing it. So if you're not pausing three to five minutes before the end of your meeting, you inevitably have people who were in the same conversation, who were even engaged. It's not like they were doing something else and you didn't realize that they're completely as engaged as you but they have a different view for what you just decided. Many, many uh, unhelpful things happen in that space, which is why problems don't get solved once and for all, and which is why you keep having to have the discussions in future meetings.
2: Let's jump back to the accelerator method. Can you give me one minute on commitment, please? I'm sorry. Commitment is the
1: combination. I only want
2: one minute of commitment. That's how committed I am to it.
1: That's yeah, great. So commitment is the combination of clarity and alignment. Your leadership team members have to be on the same page about what you as a leader are saying are your goals in general, the ones that we're really working on now and the priorities for that. And then alignment is we're all speaking that same story, even if I don't agree. We've had conversations where I weigh in and I say I don't agree, and here's why, or my team doesn't have what they need. But eventually, we work through very healthy processes where we are now aligned, and so all of us are committed to getting our teams rowing in the same direction.
2: Accountability. That is- part number three.
1: Yes. Do I have the, are we operating with old operations? Are our our meetings um, the old way? Do our operations, the way all of the teams, the collective teams in the entire organization are they moving in the direction of what we just committed to? Though, do do they all have clarity? Do they know where they fit in so that they are aligned? We don't have to ask their opinion. We need to make sure they understand their role. They understand where it fits into what we're going after. They have what they need. And they know how I, as their manager or my senior leader, they know how we think They're doing. Once you start to do that, burnout falls away. And so does lack of engagement. People are on the same page and there's a buzz. You can feel it. And of course, meetings are now high performing.
2: And finally, performance number four, part four.
1: And performance is about you've just sent your brain and the collective brains of a lot of people through a lot of new ways of working. Some of it's going to take right away because some people have been ready, they've been they've been able, but they weren't in charge necessarily, or their voice wasn't the one that's being heard. And then you and you fix your meetings, so you don't have to take a lot of time on tactical. and what you really need is to fix the workforce challenge, which is more strategic, or fix the supply chain. So you begin to have what you need to be successful, and it starts to become something that you want and that you're ready to build momentum and you grow on it and you start to develop the metrics that really tell you how you're doing. Which habits have you developed that are going well? Which are more stubborn challenges? You need to do some root cause. You need to maybe make some workforce changes. You need to bring in some people that have some skills that you haven't been calling for. It's the metrics that tell you how to continue to be cohesive and high-performing and how you're cascading it out into the organization.
2: How do you stop the intra-office gossip?
1: You talk about it openly and it's top down. So if you wanted to address something in a household where there are eight people living there, you start with the people that are in charge and they're setting the rules and they have to be open and honest with each other and they have to get their stuff together first and then they have to model it. There are senior leaders in companies that you read about in the news who are actually acting like they're still in in middle school and they are talking about one another. You That is absolutely unacceptable. You're going to, you're going to break apart the weave of the fabric of any organization. You cannot function that way. And so you need to call it at the highest level and then you talk about it openly and the other thing that happens with things like gossip and complaining and coming to the leader to solve their problems is once you put those other systems and processes in place you actually start to do great work you actually are capable of doing some of the things that you haven't known to do before or haven't been equipped to do or haven't been given permission to do because you're not the one that does all the meeting talking or, or, or is always in the ear of the leader once you start to have that kind of success complaints and gossip sort of go down and sometimes melt away and then we do have metrics around how are you functioning as a team we ask right out is somebody gossiping to you are you gossiping what do you need to do to stop doing that how can we help you get the problem solved that you're clearly having when you're doing that kind of behind the scenes uh, poor communication
2: and how do I as a boss what do I say to someone that is suspected of being the office gossip how do I address well, you, that? What do I say? So,
1: once you put systems, some of the early systems and processes in place, you do tend to see behaviors change without you even trying. You'll start to see what you thought was someone who was, uh, for example, I worked with a client who they had somebody on a, a leader on a performance improvement plan and everybody was always just talking about, oh, that person's a problem, that person's a problem. Once we put in place things to help the clarity and the alignment and the communications and the meetings, they actually rose as a star. And so once you get the initial infrastructure in place some of those problems um, melt away when you still have them it's the leader's number one job is to make everybody else better at what they're doing it's developing them that's their number one job and when they're not doing that and many aren't they don't feel like they can or they don't feel like they need to when they're not doing that those people are left to their own devices so if i were a leader i have to interrupt
2: i think you're wrong on this the leader's number one job is to tell everyone how great he is or she is
1: Oh, that is not true. Well, actually, I can I can respectfully disagree because you can tell me I'm great, and Uh. I know inside things are not going great. It doesn't mean I'm not great. It means I gotta kind of hide that you don't, so that you won't know that I am not performing well deep down everyone wants to perform well people get up in the morning and they want to perform well and if they don't they're in the wrong place but if i'm a leader and i've put some systems in place and there is still gossip happening i'm going to go to that i'm going to we're going to talk openly about it and what happens eventually is some people start to work together to maybe work behind the scenes or come to you and then we talk about it openly and if someone is doing a lot of gossiping to the detriment of the culture of the team it may be because they don't have confidence in their abilities. It may be they're not in the right role, but there's a lot of things that happen first to really diagnose what's happening here. Why are people gossiping? And many times, it's really out of um, they're they're surviving, and are, and they're getting away with bad behavior.
2: What are your thoughts on going back to the office, quote unquote?
1: Well, I'm the, the bearer of the bad news, and that is leaders are bringing people back to the office, but there may not be for the right reasons. So they're dealing with all of this real estate, and they think that they're not g- going to be able to watch people if they're not underfoot. I will tell you what I learned during um, sheltering in place, and then the next couple of years is productivity dips were not necessarily because people were um, uh, working virtually. I will say though, there is. Logic to having people be in person. So then you have to be um, um, strategic about it there there there's no good data that shows people have to be in the office or the workplace um, physically every minute in order to be successful so what is the hybrid what is the approach i will tell you that we've documented that if you're in a conference room with 12 people and you're taking a math quiz and you don't speak to each other you don't do any exchange of verbal information or cheating or whatever your scores go up for many of those people there's an energetic exchange doesn't happen with everyone someone might be better at this by themselves and someone might be not have a high score at all regardless but for the most part we are hardwired for that social that energetic exchange and uh i'm working in with clients who everyone's on video excuse me everyone's off video there is I, i'm mean, seeing but Meaning, no, but they—they they think that leaders think they're being helpful by having people not be on video, and so what I would rather do is set up their-
2: Zoom meetings where their video is not available; they're only there on voice
1: the entire time. And, the, um, and then some do a hybrid. Some meetings, the meetings with the boss, let's say. Everyone's on video and then the other meetings, they're not. Or you get three or four people are on video and everybody else is not. And what I would say is this is one of those strategies that people aren't solving because they're too busy firefighting and having terrible meetings and, and not rowing together in the same direction and not having time and energy to work through these stubborn challenges because now everything else is cooking. So if you're putting in systems and processes, in place to get some of this to be automatic pilot, you change your habits, people are starting to do things very differently. Now you can deep dive. And for your industry, for your particular organization, for your particular mix of leadership and opportunities and um, challenges, you'll make decisions about what to do about this in person, that might be unique to you, but you now have the collective brains of everybody. I'm going to add one more thing. The one thing we do with every team is working genius. So if you're not familiar with Lencioni's new, relatively new last couple of years, working genius, it's everything. So it is the widget Acronym, W I D G E T, and that is sequential. So everyone has a couple working geniuses. Uh, w is wonder, I is inventing, G is, uh, D is discerning, G is galvanizing, E is enablement, which is the people that get things done in organizations, and T is tenacity, which is the ones that um, check this, make sure something goes all the way through to completion. We are making um, cha- way more challenges for ourselves because, and burning out people because we have leaders and team members who are engaging in activities that is that is absolutely not uh, the um uh the way to to maximize for them and you're in meetings and you have a product and the product is farther down the road so now you have um you're in the galvanizing stage let's get everybody going and rowing in the direction of making this happen and Meanwhile, you invite a W, a wonderer, a questions person, or a discerner, somebody who knows things, you invite them to the meeting, and now they're taking you back in sequence. If you're missing deadlines, if you are not hitting your goals, many times you're just not following the sequential life cycle of a product, and when people bring their geniuses to the table at the right time everyone's all boats rise. And it is probably the single greatest enhancement that I've seen in my decades in organizations. This is one of the biggest helps to give people a, um, a, con- a, a context for language and a way to think about who should be doing what. And oh, we keep having the same problem over again. That's because nobody ever wondered or discerned, you went right to product development and you actually weren't even sure if it was the right thing. So there's a way, so I help lead that, facilitate that, and we make that happen for them as well.
2: Awesome. Doctor, how do we find out more follow online?
1: So my last name is Olson, but it's got that extra E, but it's silent. So it's oleson consultingcom And I'm on LinkedIn, Margie, O-L-E-S-O-N.
2: Fantastic. Doctor, thank you so much for being with us. Great stuff and really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Jim. Take care.
2: We're out of time, but you know what we do. That's right. We come back tomorrow. Be safe, everyone. Take care. Have a great day. Go make a million dollars. Bye now.